This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Jason, as always, and Jason, it kind of feels like old times where it's just me and you, and I know we have a guest. We'll get to him in just a minute, but it's back. In, it feels like it's back in the day, Jason, where it's just us two. Kevin's, Kevin's, uh, couldn't couldn't do tonight, and um, you know, um, Papa Papa Bruins on vacation. Yeah, you know, I kind of just figured to myself, hey, we'll adjust based on the day, and you know, when Kevin being busy, I said to myself, there's not much going on in hockey. Why not add a third person? So we have a special guest for a third person at the last minute. Yep, and we uh, decided to bring back Mark Howard from the Hockey Writers back on. Mark, how are you doing today? What's up, guys? Very happy to be here again. Glad to have you, and I think it's I think it was great, Jason, that usually we we record these on Sunday nights. They recorded the show this time on Monday night, and I think it was great that we held off today because last night. Jason and I were talking, and we didn't really know what to talk about. But today, you know, the Bruins' captain's practice are underway. There's a lot of stuff going on there, a lot of hot topics that we can talk about. Obviously, the Bruins' uh, Warriors ice arena is pretty much completed, and uh, I've drove by it a few times. It looks absolutely gorgeous for, you know, the players and for the fans. And um, have you guys seen it yet? I, Michael, let you go to that one first. I'm actually going to be there for the first time on the 15th and 16th when uh, Bruins uh, rookie camp opens. So I'm excited to see all the young kids. And I'm not too sure if I'm going to attend the main camp, but uh, I'm trying to get access. And for me, I probably won't make it down until September when I have to go to a, at least one of the preseason games. I mean, I go into two, but one of them seems to be on my agenda at most. Yeah, definitely. So uh, it seems like the Bruins are doing a good job with that Warriors ice uh, ice screener over there that they just built. But uh, there was some hot hot stuff that went on today. You know, um, obviously I want to get I want to touch on David Krejci and Tori Krug especially because you know going into the off season, both of those players were set to have ser- uh, surgeries in the summer, and it was un- they were unknown and unsure if both of those players would be ready for you know the open open puck drop and. From everything you're hearing today from the captain's practices, both Krejci and Tory Krug skated in captain's practice. Uh, not a lot of the guys were there yet, but, I mean, I'm assuming it'll keep filling up and filling up as the as it's getting closer and closer because, you know, the World Cup of Hockey is two weeks away, which we'll touch on in a little bit. You know, the season's pretty much a month away. It's The dog days are coming down to an end, the dog days of summer. That's exciting. And I can't wait because, you know, at some time in the middle of August when you're, uh, you know, 
outside on the beach in an 85 degree day and there's nothing hockey related coming at all but it's it's great to see that but let's touch on David Krejci and Tory Krug because they did say that both of those Krejci said he's pretty close to 100% and Tory Krug says he's ready to prove himself and looking to be 100% and he's he's right around the opening day for the for the Bruins to be coming back but um, David Krejci uh, let's touch on him for a minute I just want to touch on how he said that he's still hopeful to play the World Cup of Hockey. You know, he jo- he was uh, on WEEI earlier for their uh, Jimmy Fun Telethon, and he was saying how, you know, he's not, he doesn't care that BJ didn't sign here. And I thought that was interesting because he's saying he didn't care because, you know, he still has to prove himself in the NHL. You know, he added a lot of pressure on himself by, uh, you know, not signing in Nashville, by even though it was kind of media driven, I thought the media buzz around BZ and I think the media expectations was too high on him. I see where Krejci is coming from because you know it's not like it's it's Steven Stamkos or Krejci was like no like obviously I wanted Steven Stamkos to come play with the Bruins but he ended up signing in Tampa Bay. BZ still has to prove himself and I think there's going to be a lot of speculation in, in media on him covering him because I mean he's still in New York and that's still a big media market. Oh, absolutely. And one one thing I um. Yeah, the the media market in, in New York is is a funny one for me, and he chose that over over his hometown bees or Buffalo or New Jersey. That was, I, I mean, if I wanted to get out of the limelight of of being so well known and you know uh, coveted, I'd, I'd definitely go to Buffalo or Jersey. Yeah, and you know that's a good point, Mark. You know, if you want to get out of the limelight, New York or Boston aren't the ways to go. So it's interesting that he chose New York, but, you know, I, I had a feeling that New York was one of those teams coming because I don't think I could have extremely completely bought his agent's words. So I think it was mostly the agent talking to the media. I do think Jimmy VC in his own mind and his heart wants part of the media drive because it helps his look. And with that being said, you know, he chose New York over Boston because I'm pretty sure in his mind, New York's probably an easier market than Boston. Yeah, I just I just thought it was funny how crazy she was like I don't really care, you know what I mean? He was he wasn't trying to discredit BZ at all. He wasn't trying to say he's a bad player, but he was just like I don't care. Like he he has to prove himself now. He he brought this upon himself, so if he wants to try and you know go to New York and exceed expectations. All the power to him. But crazy was like yeah, he's not and he's not anything. He's not NHL special yet. I should say. And let me build off that mic because you know I think a lot of Krejci's mindset has to do with the fact that Krejci's probably showing some signs of frustration towards Boston, the uh, the management, you know. In the last, like, six years, he's had three different wingmates between Horton and Ginla and Louis Erickson, who he liked, who he wanted to stay, and Lucic on his other side. And, you know, for him, he's constantly having to, de- to develop a chemistry with new players, and it takes years to do that, or it takes that immediate mindset. So I think at this point, in a way, Krejci is showing some signs of frustration. Oh, and absolutely, and and just to touch on that, I'm sorry to cut you off, Mike, but no, uh, uh, he also showed that frustration in the captain's practice today, uh, saying that he's he's frustrated with um, not creating any chemistry with anybody because it's constant. He's got you know the the players are constantly moving around him or being shifted different lines. Um, I think it's a time, maybe David, kind of wants out. And maybe uh, flapping a little bit to the media might get his get his way. And I understand that he he, he gets frustrated, and I don't blame him because you look at it right. His his one of his best statistical season in Boston, 
throughout his career was when he was on a line with Blake Wheeler and Michael Ryder, and they had a couple years to develop chemistry. And then all of a sudden, you know, they make the, the Wheeler trade, and they, they pick up, you know, that Michael Ryder gets devoted to the third line. They put him with Lucic, you know, and they get Horton. And they put, then all of a sudden, he's playing with, with, with Horton and Lucic, and he develops chemistry there. And then Horton leaves, and then they didn't, then they, then they replace Horton with, with a Gimla. And I always said, David Krejci has gone through his career in Boston pretty much without playing with a goal scorer. Not one goal scorer that he has played with besides a Gimla. And the one year he actually played with a goal scorer in a Gimla, a Gimla put up 30 goals. Lucic played well all season. And Krejci, I thought, was one of the best players in the Bruins that year when the Bruins won the President's Trophy back a few years and they were considered a wagon Stanley Cup playoffs. Obviously, they ended up losing to Montreal. But I thought that was when David Krejci was at his best because he finally had a goal scorer to give the puck to. Krejci's a pass-first guy. He's a setup man, and he's never really had that sniper. And I understand his frustration because now look at him this season. Even this like past two seasons, he's been playing with Erickson, Pashnik, this player, that player, this player, that player. Claude Julien puts him Vetrano there, and all of a sudden Vetrano gets moved down. He starts bitten benched. He puts Spooner up on the wing with him, and all of a sudden now Spooner's back at center. He never is able to develop chemistry with anyone, so I understand completely why he's so frustrated. And, and Mike, just to touch on what you were talking about, about making the player, I mean, and Krejci being a pass first, you could definitely tell he made uh, Jerome McGinley when he came to Boston because uh, when McGinley when left Calgary, his Boston year was his best after those Calgary years. So, that, I mean, that, that right there tells you that, you know, if, if you, if you get, him, get him a player on that side and he likes, he can create chemistry and, you know, make magic happen. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And, you know, Mark, it's a great point. I didn't actually think of that, you know, when Iginla left, Iginla didn't really do that well in Colorado. That's where he still is, but he, he is still in Colorado, and he, did, he didn't do good in Pittsburgh. That's why he moved after that one year. Exactly, yes, you're correct. That's a good point. I forgot about the fact that he went to Pittsburgh for that one year. So, something's got to give. Yeah, no, and I, I, and me personally... I find I, I, I hate doing this, but I kind of bring the situation back on the Erickson. I find value in, in I found value in Erickson on the team and on the market. And I hate to say it, but in Krejci's age right now, he's got five years left. Three of those five are no movement clauses, and two the last two are modified no trades. I, I hate to say it, but you know, I'm kind of on that on that same. You know, Erickson thing that I see value on both sides with Krejci. And right now, and you guys have talked about it the, the past couple podcasts, is the defense needs to be addressed. And I think this is where you could get a, a player or two to really increase that, that, that potency that the defense has been missing for the past two years. And let, and let me bring it up, Mark, because that's a good point. Because when you say that, we, we've been, all been speculating what's going to happen with the Bruins team after BC Science. And so far, we've got absolutely nothing. No. Yeah, we haven't gotten anything. But, I mean, this has been speculated since the Bruins signed Bacchus. And they let Erickson go. And you're thinking, okay, they're probably going to go young. And all of a sudden, boom, first day of free agency, they signed David Bacchus. And we go, okay, they have Bergeron. Obviously, he's not going anywhere. They have Spooner, who plays center, and Bacchus, who plays center. And obviously, Bacchus plays the wing a little bit, too. And then you have Krejci. So you're sitting there, you're saying, okay, are they going to go into that playing Bacchus at center or Bacchus at wing? And no one really knows yet because they really haven't had any camp. 
and I don't think you're going to find out anytime soon either because Vagas is on Team USA. So he's not even going to be at Bruins training camp. Right. So you're not going to really you're not going to really see what's going on here until pretty much they start the season. So, exactly. So I, especially I, was, especially if Team USA makes it to the finals. Not even just that. If they make it to like the the final, because you got to look at it. The Bruins have players pretty much on every team, except you know Team North America, and obviously they have only Tuukka Rask on Team Finland, so that wouldn't be a big deal. But you know they have players on almost every team, so if one of those teams makes it to the playoffs, you're not gonna really see anything either, because you know say Team Canada makes it to the playoffs, I mean makes it to the finals, and David Backus is on Team USA, and they lose in like you know the semifinals. Backus comes back, plays with Boston. All of a sudden, you know he could be centering a line of like say. Vetrano and Pashnik, but that could be just Krejci's spot, but Krejci's not there yet, or that could be Bergeron's spot, but you know what I mean? So you don't no. really know until, like, you're not going to really know until the season started, but uh, I, I keep holding out hope that something's going to give on, on the Bruins' back end, because I remember the year that the Bruins had Boychuk, and they kind of held on to him right up until, like, the end of t- training camp, right before the season started, and they traded him for the two second-round picks, and I kind of feel like that's, what, that's what's going to happen, too. The Bruins are going to go for training camp, and maybe try and pull a, the trigger, pull a deal, pull the trigger on a deal for a defenseman. And I think one of the centers has to be included in that deal, whether it's Spooner or Krejci. And do you think that maybe one of the players that they trade away could be McQuaid and Miller on defense? Uh, I mean, it has to have that feel. Well, well, if if it happens, it it it, it should definitely one of those two should definitely be sometime soon. And then the other should be um, the expansion draft uh, casualty, in my opinion. Well, I, I just don't think you're going to be able to trade Kevin Miller after you just re-signed him. So, I mean, I could see. I, I mean, even though as much as I don't like Kevin Miller personally on defense, I think him and McQuaid are pretty similar. And I think if you're going to include one of them in the deal, I think it would have to be McQuaid. Oh, that's a good point. I mean, that's. That's the move I would make. Would have to be McQuaid in that deal, along with a winger and another player. I mean, it's it, it seems like you're heading on to something, Mike, with saying that they're gonna make a trade right before training camp, man. That just has that feel. But yeah, you, you don't usually hear like hockey players or like Bruins players come out and like challenge the media. I mean, not the media, challenge management and be like, "Well, you know, I'm not really playing with anyone." And I think that's kind of a shot at Claude Julian too. And Everyone knows that's been listening to this podcast knows my feelings among Claude Julien. I think he's a good coach. I don't think he's a good fit for this team. I thought he should have been fired two two years ago after the Bruins choked away the playoffs the first year. And then last year, I thought, this past season, I thought they, they should have fired him absolutely and they bring him back. And everyone knows that I just think his time is up. And I think Krejci's frustrated too because, you know, for the first period, right, Claude Julien will put Pashnik on his line. And then all of a sudden, the next inning, I mean, not the next inning, excuse me, the next period. I'm still in baseball mode saying yeah, I can gotta, hear gotta that. Got to get back into the hockey swing of things. But, you know, the next period, you know, he doesn't like the way Pashnik's playing, so Pashnik's on the bench. And Krejci's playing with, you know, Brett Connolly. And then all of a sudden, the next game, he's playing with Brett Connolly and Louis Erickson. And the game after that, he's playing with Bolesky and Pashnik. So I understand his frustration. Claude Julian doesn't... Like, I understand that you keep Bergeron and Myshen together at all times. Can you please find someone with Krejci like that? He needs it. He needs like a, a sidekick by Bergeron and Marchand. Like Bergeron, like Bergeron like, and Marchand are. And Mike, again, you bring up another really good point that we know as 
people who analyze this, they don't really think of it, but, you know, the Ju- Julian needs to figure out a way to get these players and these lines set up. And even if they struggle early on, especially that creature line, to stick with it and let them develop chemistry. Yeah, I mean, yes. that's what's important is to develop that chemistry. So he has to find a way to stick with it and let these players work it out amongst themselves. Yeah, I, yeah. work on the line, not the individual. Because if you work with the individual and you're constantly moving them up and down, nobody can get anywhere. And it just seems like he does that all the all the time. Yeah, he does do it all the time, and it's so I understand Craig's frustration. Like Bergeron never complains about his line because it doesn't matter. He he's always playing with Marshan. He's been playing with Marshan pretty much his whole career since Marshan came up. Marshan's rookie year was back in 2011 when the Bruins won the Cup, and Marshan was on whose line? Bergeron's. They're hardly ever split up, so. Krejci's never had that. I mean, he had Lucic for a while. Then once Lucic left, he hasn't had a consistent line mate since. And and that's why you have to understand Krejci's frustration. And you have to you have to wonder if, is that uh, if this doesn't change once the season gets going, if Krejci really does start getting into the media, and if Krejci really, really does begin that process of demanding a trade, Jeez. it could happen. Like like. Mark bring up a good point about how he, like his no trade clause pretty much kicked in, so he can kind of dictate where he where he break and go. Should be interesting, but so see uh, you and Bruins can't even think about. It. I was just gonna say, Mark, quickly, like, even if you think about trading him, Krejci can kind of have the willpower to to say, I nope, I only want to go to this team. I want to go to I I'll, I'll give you a list of five teams. Trade me one of these two, one of these five teams, and you have to pretty much either. Do do one of those five teams because he'll like, deal with it or, or yes, exactly. So pick your poison. I mean, it's, I mean, it's just it's just the fact that the Bruins, if this does happen, if this does play out, it's just that the Bruins have pretty much done this to themselves. Exactly. Uh, and then Mark, Mark, I was talking. I was talking earlier on a, few, a couple podcasts ago. Me and Jason were kind of discussing, you know, the line situation. And I think right off the bat, play Krejci with the two young kids, playing with Petrano and Pashnik. They have enough skill. They have enough. They're they're very good offensively. I think Krejci's underrated defensively. Also, playing with the two young guys, see if they can develop some chemistry. Yeah, the way the way I kind of have I was puzzling around with with the lines a little earlier uh, when Jason gave me the heads up about appearing on the podcast, and yeah, I mean I see uh, Bergeron centering Marshan and Bacchus. Um, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Krejci centering uh, Vitrano and Pasternak, Spooner centering Bolesky and Hayes, and I got a long shot in Danton Heinen. On the left side, centering, I mean, uh, with Achari at center and Nash at the right. You know, let me build up that because I swear, and I kind of like where Mark Norman That's interesting that you have. Danton Heinen's a name that you're hearing the most lately. Even before the season even starts, you're hearing Danton Heinen's name everywhere. Oh, man, he was at development camp. Everybody was just yapping about him. He's, he's, an, he's a very skilled young player. I just. The, the transition from call the chalky to the pros is a... I don't think it's much of a long shot. It's going to be interesting to see what, the way it plays out, but if I'm going to make a bold prediction right now, I could see Denton Hine on, on this roster opening night. That's not, that's not a bad... That's not a bad 
See, gamble. But uh, something something with this whole lineup that we're going to see in October is going to be a little different than what I'm I'm seeing on my paper because I I, I, I actually see uh, Noel Achari going back down to Providence because he's on a two way. Mike, what do you have to say? Is it? I, I was just going to say I don't think Hyen's going to make the opening day roster. I kind of feel like they're going to do what they did with Vetrano and put him in Providence at first, get his feet wet. And all of a sudden, Vetrano is scoring a goal every game, and someone goes down. What happens every hockey season? Someone gets injured, someone misses some time, someone gets sick. You have to do an emergency call up, and that's what. And Vetrano was lighting it up down there. I kind of felt like Vetrano deserved the, the playing time. So I think he's going to do the same thing with Danton Heinen. Let him get his feet wet. Don't rush him onto the like, like Mark said. It's a big jump from college to the professional level, and not many players do it. But you look, you look at Pittsburgh, right? You know they have. They had Sherry come up during after he already was establishing himself in the minor leagues. I feel like that's what you need to do. Let him play in Providence, let him get his feet wet, and then once you realize, okay, this kid can play, then give him a call up. Yeah, and I'm I'm of I'm the kind of person that likes to develop first. You know, get get a year of uh, whether you're from the CHL or NCAA. I, I me personally would like to see players. Um, play a year in the American Hockey League, learn the system, learn how to play, and then if you're that good, you know, either you make the transition during the middle of the season, like Mike said, due to injuries, or next year you pretty much get a, a, a spot on the roster. No, and that, and that makes the most sense, which is why I say it's a long shot prediction. Uh, I, I'm kind of, if I'm not making a long shot prediction, I'm kind of leaning towards what both of you guys are saying. He should rightly be going to Providence. But you never know what, what could happen in training camp or in some of those preseason games. If, if, he, if he really shows himself, you just never know. That's, that's true. No, you, do never know. You, you do never know. But uh, just getting back to Krejci quickly, he did say he was close to 100% after having hip surgery. And it's good to see him skating. He's still holding out hope to play in the World Cup. And as a Bruins fan, I hope he doesn't play. I'm sorry. I don't want you to play in the World Cup of Hockey. I don't want you playing competitively against teams against other countries. That are obviously going to be trying to win and competing hard and and you know using the body. I want Krejci to to be a 100% healthy for the start of the Bruins season. Last season, people forget that David Krejci, when he was healthy, started off on a torrid pace and was lighting up the scoreboard in the NHL. He was top 10 in points at one point last year. Uh, so yes, it's just selfish of me to say I don't want him to play for his country. Yes, it is. But I'm sorry, David. I'd rather you. Be 100% healthy for the Bruins and not play for the Czech Republic. Yeah, and to follow up on two points that Mike was talking about, um, the David Krejci has been on fire to begin the season for the last four years. Look it up. He goes right till about December and then plateaus and even like drops down a little bit, but he starts his year off on fire all the time. And uh, the World Cup for me, I love hockey. I'm a, I'm just a hockey junkie, and I'll watch it. But when it comes to my hometown team, I get concerned about players, like you said, Mike, and injuries and so on. But uh, going just going back real quick about what we were talking about earlier and chemistry and so on, when you have a team with pieces that are uh, adding, like the Bruins have Bacchus, and obviously he's going to play for Team USA, you know, I, I believe that training camps are, are meant to create that chemistry. So it's going to be very hard for me to see this team at the beginning of the season if they, you know, if they do a, 
uh, a five and seven record, I'm not going to be surprised because they just haven't had time to gel together. And that's why I think the World Cup kind of hinders on, you know, the the beginning of any season because you you, you are re- representing your country, and I respect that, I really do. But you guys are going to be coming back to your National Hockey League franchise tired. And. And I agree with that. Again, also, I do not think Krejci should be playing in the World Cup. I think it would be a major mistake for Krejci because he will probably risk re-aggravating the injury just to come back early, just to play in the World Cup. And Mark brings up another point that it is, you know, it is crazy to see that the World Cup is so close to the season because those players are going to start off tired or they're going to look at it like it's a training camp for them. I think it's more like a training camp, like you just said, Jason. I, I can agree with that, too. Tired. I don't think they're going to come back tired because I look at it like when the, when the players play in the Olympics, they cut the season two weeks, like they really have two weeks off for the end of regular season and go play in the Olympics, and it doesn't seem to affect them. I think this is pretty much like, like Jason said, this is their training camp. This is their preseason. But obviously it's just going to be a little bit more competitive than the preseason will be because you look at it and say, okay, obviously Patrice Bergeron's going to make the Boston Bruins. So in preseason, he's going to still try. But he might not try as hard as he would because he knows his roster spot's going to be there in the end. But when you're having a training camp for, for Team Canada or you're playing a game against USA as your Team Canada, you're just, going to, you're just going to try a little bit harder. So I think it's going to be a good test and a good conditioning stint for them. And can I uh, build off of that point when I was talking about the training camp mindset? Yeah. Okay, I was looking at the schedule earlier of all the games in the preliminary round. And what I've noticed is each of the teams plays three games. So you're talking about... At the very least, certain players are only 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 going to get to play three games. Then you have one semifinal, well, two semifinal games to get to the finals, but it's just single elimination. So at, again, at, at the next least is that at least a couple of players get to only play four games. Then you get to the final, which is the best of three. So you get at most five games, at most six games. So you know it's not really like it's a heavy load for some of these players for them. For the most part, it really is. It's like a training camp schedule because training camp for the Bruins is like six games anyway. Right. And, it, I mean, I, sh- I should have, like, narrowed it down to, like, one player that I'm really concerned with, and that's Chara, who's already slow. Chara, yeah, Chara's definitely a worrisome guy going for Team Europe. And he's, he's going to play a ton because he's their, like, best defenseman besides it, Roman Yossi. Exactly. They're going to, Mike, right on. They're going to rely on him so much for his experience. And, and I just... I wish he'd come down on his minutes, but I know this organization's going to be, like, asking a lot of him. No, I get that worry when it comes to Char, but there's, there's not going to be, whether he plays in the World Cup or not, Char is not going to be the same player. Char is going to decline. There's no avoiding it. Like I said, I don't, Char doesn't worry me as much because I already pretty much feel like I know what I'm expecting out of Char. Mark, I don't know if you heard me say uh, if you heard if you were on the show when when I talked about this or if you heard me talk about this when I said I think Chara still has value, but Chara would be great as like your number three or four defenseman and a penalty kill specialist. If you didn't have to rely on Chara to you know shut down the other team's first line or have to worry about playing 25 minutes a night because they don't have anyone else to to take the reins from them, if if they had a number one defenseman or a top pairing defenseman and they had Chara on their second pair. I think he would be excellent in that role, but that's the problem. They don't have anyone in front of him that can limit him and help him, so he has to do it all himself, and that's why the Bruins are dealing with the mess they are on defense. Right, and I, I absolutely agree with that. And um, to, to me, in my own opinion, this is just a, um, the waiting period for this, this beautiful um, 
thing that's about to happen on defense with all these kids that are coming through the development stages. Um, I'm excited to to really get involved with uh, Zboril, uh, Grizzlick, Ogaras, you know, Lawsons, and you know all those guys. The Carlos. Carlos, yeah. I mean, I mean, if you can pick six defensemen, the best ones out of there, and put them on a line right now, I'd be pretty damn excited. It would be it would be fun to watch. I'll give you that. But right now, you know. It's, it's, it, you really are right, Mark. It's it's like a waiting period. You're watching a disaster that's going to blossom into something amazing over the next few years yeah. if it's handled correctly. Absolutely, and that's why Don Sweeney just he he preaches patience, and I think this is exactly what he's talking about. I mean, fans just have to really look at the roster, look at the cap, you know, use the tools that are available on the internet, and then see what he has to go through. And it's it's not that easy. The uh, the salary cap world is is uh, very difficult, but there's some people out there that make it look like they're geniuses, like um, Dean Lombardi and um, and who's the guy in Chicago? Um, can't figure his name out. Stan Bowman. Bowman. Yeah, Stan Bowman. Bowman, Bowman yes. You know, Bowman. Those guys seem to do it with all the players and, and, and locking up two guys with, you know, almost a quarter of your, your cap, but it's, if they can do it, it can be done here too. It just takes time and. But do you think Boston's ownership has that patience, and that's what the frustrating thing is? Well, whether they have the patience or not, I'm. It, it's going to be hard if if they lose, if they don't make the playoffs this season for the third straight year. It's hard to believe that Jeremy Jacobs is going to just clean house, and. Do the fans expect a Stanley Cup the year after that with a fresh um, staff? I, I don't think so. I think well, you couldn't. Yeah, I think well, you're gonna have yeah. to filter right through there. You know, I mean, in my opinion, the first one that should go is Cam Neely, and, and love them as a player. I just don't see him as a as a hockey businessman. Well, I think what bothers the fans too is that you look at this team, right? So you have Stanley Cup in eleven, then you have the next year you're out in the first round. Okay, whatever, not a big deal. Like. They could just came up a, a, a cup run. They played three game sevens. You know, they probably, they, whatever, they lost the first round. Then the next, in 2013, you make it to the, the Stanley Cup Finals again. And then in 2014, you're a cup favorite. You win the President's Trophy. You lose in the second round. And obviously to Montreal. And then, you're okay, so you go from a Stanley Cup Finals appearance to winning the President's Trophy and going to game seven and against Montreal in the second round to... Choking away the playoffs, choking away the playoffs, and now no one knows what this team's going to be. And that's frustrating as a, for a Bruins fan because they still have some of the pieces, that are, some good pieces, and I think the Bruins fans just want them to make the playoffs. And they've had the roster and capabilities of making the playoffs the last two years. As much as we crap on the defense and say that the defense is bad, which I would agree with, the Bruins were in a playoff spot the last two seasons, 85-90% of the season, and they choked it away at the end. And that's unacceptable. Yeah, and it's all on the product on the ice. And it's all on the pro- not just the product, it's all on the attitude on the ice as well. And I think that, you know, the Bruins really did need to do, do did and probably still do need a major attitude shift. Yeah. To develop that hard-nosed attitude and not quit during games, especially when they're down. As a diehard fan, I really hate saying this, but I just wish I was a fly on the wall in that locker room because I believe there's, there's, there's just something going on. Something's not clicking right, and I believe it, whether it's between players and management, 
And there's there's no source or anything like that. And I'm just that's just my personal thought. Yeah, I definitely have a good thought. But yeah, getting back to the defense quickly. One of the one of the things the Bruins did do on defense was re-sign Tory Krug, who was a restricted free agent. And there's been concerns about Tory Krug being ready for the for the season opener. And he says he's seen he's he's on target to be there. He's he's trying to be. And uh, Jason, you said that earlier that you, uh, you sent me the article about Krug saying that he wants to prove himself this year. And I like Krug's mentality, and I love the way he plays, and I thought last year he was the Bruins' best defenseman. But I just think Tory Krug shouldn't be a number one defenseman. And that's where it comes that's, – that's the bottom line. I'm sorry. The Bruins were at their best when Tory Krug was their sixth, when they were playing the Blackhawks in the Stanley Cup Finals. And don't get me wrong, Krug has made great strides since then. I love him. He competes. You know, he, he works hard. Last year, he, he was playing over 23 minutes a game, pretty much. He, I like his attitude, but he's a young guy. He's an offensive guy. And I just don't think he's going to be the one of those shutdown defensemen that you can rely on to play 25 minutes a game. Yeah, that, that should come from other players that are uh, other four players on his, on his defensive core. Um, Krug's a mobility kind of defenseman. Uh, you, you're not going to get the, the, the big flashy hits. You're not going to get... Um, you know, the, the movement out of a bigger player in front of the net. What you're going to get is when he gets the puck, it's going to be fast transition or um, a stretch pass. Um, there's a lot of other players on that team that really need to step up their games to make up for a player like Tori, if you guys understand what I'm saying. Yeah, you know, um, we, we, we go there. It's a really good point, Mark, because, you know, the sad thing is Krug is not going to be that player that walked into the league in the NHL playoffs and practically crushed the Rangers with those shots that he had. That's the Krug I would like to see come back, but how is he going to get that back well, with the, the Julian system? Well, the problem with that was he, he came in as an unknown, and the Bruins weren't relying on him to be the shutdown guy. He just went out and played. He was going up against good matchups. He was playing against other, other, the Rangers' third and fourth lines for the most part because he, Claude Julian didn't, was not like, okay, I needed to play him in a shutdown role. They still had Chara there. They still had other guys there that were playing against the Rangers that were better, but that were better in their own end. And that's the problem now. Tory Krug is better than half the defensemen on this team in their own end. And he's looked at as a number one, number two defenseman when he shouldn't be. And that's why I don't think it's ever going to come back to where it was when he was playing on the team when the Bruins made that cup run because Krug was looked at as a power play specialist to score goals offensively, create offense as the as the number six defenseman, and now. They put too much on him now. There's too much on his plate to be that player. Last year, he was going through a goal drought because, and I, yes, I know it was, he was snake-bitten, but he was also playing so much in his own end because they don't have anyone else to play in their own end. Uh, that, is, that is absolutely true, you know. That's why he's not going to be the same player because he's got those bigger responsibilities now. And, you know, unfortunately for the Bruins, if the Bruins had had a better structure to the way they could have built this defense, Krug should probably still be a sixth defenseman and playing that role that he played when he first started. Yeah, and, that's, and after 81 games last year, he had 44 points, which was sixth on the team, but he only had one power play goal. When you look at that, and it's, that that's kind of stunning because usually Krug would have more power play goals than that. Yeah, but... no, I just, yeah, I, I, just, I just realized that I couldn't believe I just saw one. But he's but at 19 just, power play points, much, though. Right. There's just too much on his on his plate to be an overall well-rounded defenseman. And that's why I don't think you're ever going to see the way he was in the Rangers series where he was scoring goals at will. 
No, and I and I agree with that. It's just it's it's sad that you know Claude Julien took a player like Tori Krug when he first entered the league, and put too much on him and tried to and tried to change his game. And that's why I don't think Tori Krug will ever, in his career, be a number two or three defenseman. It will probably always be a four, four or five or six. But the Bruins will always play him as a number three or two. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like everyone, always has that you know defenseman where you look at and say, okay. He's a number four or five defenseman. You're not going to put too much on his plate. Have him run your power play and have him, you know, try and get offense. And there's nothing wrong with that. Teams do have that those types of players. And I just like I, I'm not saying that Troy Cook can't handle it. I'm just saying I don't think he's ever going to be as prolific as he was when he first came up because he's playing too much in his own end now. They, like the Bruins rely on him too much because their defense is in such shambles that Troy Krug is pretty much the number two defenseman. And that's exactly what I'm saying is I'm I'm agreeing with your point that it's because of those reasons why Tori Crew won't be the same player even though we all wish he could be. Yeah, I agree. And um but I think it would be great though if Tori Krug and Krejci are both ready for the opening for the opening game. Because they Bruins need these two players. These are two pretty crucial players to their Bruins success. And I think if these two players miss time, it could be it could be a it could hurt the Bruins in the long run because they got, they got off to a terrible start last year. And remember, there was already questions and rumors asking Claude Julian if he, if he was feeling the pressure on the hot seat. So I think the Bruins need these two players to hopefully get off to a better start this year because, I mean, last year's start, I didn't, like, they, were, they still ended up making, the, like, catching, making up ground. But still, if, you, if the Bruins had a better start last year, they're probably in the playoffs. Yeah, and not needing a 5-5 five and five record at the end of last year to get in the playoffs. Right. If they start, they started off. They lost like, they they lost like what six, seven out of ten or something. They they were yep. they lost like, and their home record was their fir- their first three games were horrendous. Yeah, they lost they lost, they, and they were putrid at home. So I think these two players need to be ready to go, ramped up as the season gets underway. Because I think if you if you don't have Krejci and Krug, I mean it hurts your offense and it hurts your defense and it hurts your power play. Yeah, and if Krug goes, you're losing the, uh, the your best shooting defenseman, and he was uh, third on the league on the team last year with 244 shots, and Bergeron led in shots with 282. Well, think about it this way: if if David Krejci and Toy Krug both miss time together and aren't ready for the start of the season, there's your it's going to be a rough start. Yeah, it's going to be a very rough. First, there's your first power play defenseman. That's your, that's your first power play defensive unit. Who are yep. going to turn out there? Chow, I, we saw Chowder can't do it, deal with it anymore. He's not. He doesn't have the skill capacity. If the puck bounces over a stick, he's not quick enough to turn around and get it. I mean, you're looking at what Joe Morrow, who's who's okay, but he's not. He's not Troy Krug. You probably end up giving Colin Miller a bigger share, which will probably, hopefully, not burn him out. But Claude Julien hates doing that, so he hates Colin Miller for some reason. Right. Uh, so, I, you know I mean, what? I, I actually think that that's not going to be an issue this year. I actually think that the, the management has come down and actually moved pieces in under Julian to make him play the younger crowd. That's just my opinion. Yeah, you, you think you got a kick in, kick in the rear end? I believe so. I believe uh, Bruce Cassidy being up there uh, and um, Jay Pandolfo, I both guys are, you know, they, they're defensive. Uh, you know, obviously Pandolfo's an offensive coach, uh, but Cassidy's a very defensive-minded coach. 
and I, but he's also very good with the younger players, and he's and he's gotten to know these guys that are on the team right now um, through the years and the development system. So, I mean, I if something doesn't happen between Thanksgiving and Christmas, and the Bruins are in pretty bad shape, I could see Cassidy making the shift over. You know, I didn't think of this till just now, Mark, when you just started mentioning about the pieces that the Bruins put in place and the way that they put them in place from the coaching staff. You're right, Pandolfo is more offensive, Cassie is more defensive, and if the Bruins do struggle, you know, it might make it a lot easier to fire Julian knowing that, one, they could put Cassidy in as head, head coach, and Cassidy could still focus on his role on the defense and have Pandolfo work on the offense and find a way to make it work with younger guys. Yeah, I mean, I mean, a perfect example, and I hate to use other teams, but Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's a perfect example of this. Look what happened when um, Mike Sullivan came in. I mean, they, they went on a tear. They played for him. They believed in his system. I don't believe these players right now believe in the system or where the organization's going. And it's a sad point. I'm probably going to get the killed that, for that, but whatever. The one thing that I was pretty mad about, too, was that why would you hire Bruce Cassidy to be the assistant coach and if you pl- started off struggling and you, you know, you were going to fire Julian and make a statement and put Bruce, put Bruce Cassidy there, why not just do it to start the year? Give him a f- clean slate, let him develop the team, that, let him develop the team the way he wants to develop the team, and give him, just give him the team. Give him the keys. Don't let him stay on the bench as the assistant coach and watch Julian and have Julian, you know, look over his shoulder at Bruce Cassidy. Just do it already. Well, here's, here's my theory on this. It's just like the common working person. If somebody is, wants to get rid of you, what are you going to do? You're going to keep them there and soak up as much information as possible to lead to another person that's possibly going to take your job. This could be a sponge, sponge factor, I call it. Cassidy could be up there to get as much information out of, out of Julian so if anything happens, he's ready to rock and roll. And that, that makes the most sense, though, you know, just taking advantage of it, because it, it pretty much, you know, when you put it in that perspective, it almost feels as if Julian's days are numbered still. I, if they come out and they, they don't produce in October and November, I would seriously start thinking about it. And if they don't, and if, if we hear the Don Sweeney, we believe in him, we love him, we're not letting him do, go anywhere, then they've got some serious problems because... That's, in my opinion, no way to run an organization if you keep believing in a coach that can't coach the players or the players won't relate to what he's trying to say. Yeah, like, Julian played great the first few years as coach, but, you know, at this point, it's like, you know, he has to step up now or it's too late. He's already, he's had one on his welcome. It it happens throughout the, I mean, people just got to get out of the Boston box sometimes and look at other teams and look what they're doing. This happens. People, players get tired of hearing things from a certain play, uh, person for a long time. And they need, and, they, need, they need a kick in the ass. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it, it happens. You bring up Pittsburgh, right? And I've been bringing up Pittsburgh a lot on this, too. That Mike Sullivan got brought... People forget, Sidney Crosby was not playing well early on last season. Oh, he Mike, hated Mike Johnson. I don't they, believe he... I believe he hated that coach. Was he not playing? He was playing awful to start the year. He was. Awful. And then, and then Mike Sullivan comes along, you know, all of a sudden Crosby goes, okay, 
I mean, that coach got fired. I got to get my yak together because I'm not trying to have a lost season here. And then, boom, likes the, likes the new coach, likes the way he runs his systems. All of a sudden, Crosby turns, turns back into the most perfect player in the NHL. Look at his numbers. Look at his numbers since the day Mike Johnson was fired. It's incredible. It, it's crazy. And sometimes, like you said, some coaches just, they get, they get tired. It happens all the time. Claude Julian's like one of the most longest tenured coaches in the NHL right now. And, and you know what? I respect all his numbers that he's done in Boston and great for the record and everything like that. But we're in the business, well, the Bruins, I'm sorry, are in the business of winning. And for the past two seasons, that hasn't happened. So I expect to change as soon as possible. Yeah, you sh- it shouldn't matter about your accolades and what you've done in the past. It shouldn't matter whatsoever what you've done in the past. If your team is not producing now, I'm sorry, you gotta go. We gotta, we gotta bring someone in who can get the job done. You know, not every not every general manager has got a crystal ball, but you have to, you know, foresee the future a little better than the Bruins have in the past two years. And and I agree with that. And also, you know, as the show is winding down, I wanted to get to you guys on a couple of other topics I wanted to see if you wanted to discuss. One being the fact that I've been seeing in the headlines that Las Vegas is trying to franchise a few team nicknames, and I wanted to know if you guys heard about that. Yeah, I, they all suck. Yeah, I've I've heard the, the sand, sand Knights. Really, the Sand Knights? De- no, like, Desert Knights. Oh, the Desert Knights. I'm sorry. I, I heard this one. Desert Knights, Silver Knights, and was it Golden Knights? Yes. Oh. Yeah, Desert Knights, Golden, all of them will sound horrendous. Well, they all sound terrible. From from listening, I subscribe to like 50 podcasts, so when I'm at work, I listen to constant hockey all the time. But there were so many people talking about. Um, the owner being from West Point, and he just he's he's really got a real passion for having this team called the Knights because of the affiliation with the West Point team. I mean the West Point. So why why can't you just say Las Vegas Knights? Why can't you just spare all the other crap? I know it doesn't make just any call sense. Them the, just call them the Knights. It's not that big of a deal. The Vegas Knights sounds pretty cool to me. What the hell are you putting this? the desert nights in there are the golden nights. You just make yourself sound stupid when you do that. No, and I, and I agree with that completely. And, uh, you know, I, I think they should just be called the Las Vegas Knights and keep it simple. Yeah, there's no reason to go crazy and go overboard. Just keep it, yeah, keep it simple. Yeah, but then, then there's this, this stupid thing that's coming up about uh, the London Knights having issues about taking the name. Oh, come I, on. This I know. Out- Teams take each other's names all the time. And that's there's a junior, only so, ma- there's only a so many things Canadian, you can do. It's a junior Canadian team, too. They go up there in junior Canadians, the NHL. Right, but how many how many CFL up. teams are called the Rough Riders? Uh, at least two. One. No, there's two. two. I've lost track. <laughs> what? Should, should, should the Boston Bruins uh, sue UCLA for being called the Bruins, too? See, see where I'm, yeah. Right? I see where you're going with us. Like, come on. So like, dumb. It's going to happen. There's only so many animals or mascots that you can that you can take. The Should heck? the Oakland Raiders to Texas Tech be calling themselves the What do you want, what do you want them to call themselves? The cactuses? <laughs> oh, they're going to be the cactuses, and everyone will make fun of you still. Like, come on. It, it, there's no NHL team called the Knights. It makes the most sense. It's true. No, it absolutely does, and, and um, it wouldn't shock me if that's what it ended up being Las Vegas Knights. But they don't need the other silver desert or whatever golden knights that you call it. Yeah, just be the knights. It's all you need to be. And then also I wanted to ask you guys, and this is more of an opinion question, what's the matchup you're most looking forward to in the preliminaries for World Cup? 
I'm excited uh, to see that. Not, that's not USA Canada. I'm excited to see pretty much the other the other side of the bracket. You, I think that bracket, that's other side of the bracket, is fascinating. You have Russia, Sweden, Finland, and Team North America, and I think that's going to be an absolute dogfight. Every game is going to be a dogfight. All teams, every team's good. Every team has skill. Every team has you know good defense, good forwards, good goalies. I think that that side of the bracket, I'm. So excited to watch. I mean, what I'm looking at, I'm marking my calendar for September 20th. Finland, Sweden, and Canada versus USA. USA bought those matchups on the same day. Yeah, you just told us we couldn't say Canada or USA. <laughs> True. I didn't, I didn't say, that's not the only one I'm looking forward to. I'm you looking forward cheated. to Finland, Sweden. You just cheated. I just cheated, you're right. But I'm looking forward to Finland, Sweden, which is on the same day. I'm Tukarask against Louis Erickson. Yeah. I, I'm looking forward to the Young Guns team. Oh, I'm so excited to watch them. I think they have yeah. I, I, I just looked at the talent a little while ago, and I was just amazed. So that's that's my go-to watch. But um, uh, I would have to say, um, yeah, U.S. U.S. and Sweden would be would be a matchup for me. Now that would that would be a good matchup, except that's not on the matchup for that list because oh, they're in a different bracket. I'm not even looking at it. All right. <laughs> But that would be a good finals matchup. All right, all right. Or a good semis <laughs> matchup. Or a good semis. Never know. It could always end up happening. USA, Sweden usually always right around, right around the final anyway. So it could happen. Anything else, Jason? Or those are the two things that you wanted to discuss. Uh, those were the two things I wanted to discuss. My, my, I, I've heard Alex Ovechkin got married. He did get married, and uh, also Evgeny Malkin took the world, took the Stanley Cup to Moscow. We'll see if you ever see that Stanley Cup again. <laughs> <laughs> the mafia. No, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just, I'm just kidding, everyone. Don't take that, don't take that too offensively. Don't I was take just, it to heart. Yes, I was just making a, making a little joke to it. But um, the one thing I do want to t- touch on quickly before we wrap up today's episode is uh, when. When the Team USA announced that Ryan Callahan wouldn't be able to play for Team USA in the World Cup and they brought Kyle Palmieri, I kind of blew a gasket a little bit and I was like, why isn't Phil Kessel on this team? Why isn't Phil Kessel on this team? And at first, I think they kind of did it to spite him. But now that you've seen reports that he, you know, he could have, he could start the season um, on the injury report because he had surgery on his hand. And now that I see reports like this, I'm kind of given. USA the benefit of the doubt, even though I don't want to, because I still think Phil Kessel should have been on this team. No, that's true. They should have given Phil Kessel a shot, but if it's because of an injury and they knew about it when we didn't, you gotta get gotta give them the benefit of the doubt on that. That's one. why I said. I mean, I didn't. I didn't know doubt, Kessel was injured. Yeah, a worthy mention would be, you know, a, a, a little more appropriate for me. And then, as it gets closer, we have to make a change because of a certain situation that he. He can't play, so I mean that would sound better to me. But kind of the whole shunning thing was kind of funny that he wasn't going to be on there, or wasn't even mentioned. Yeah, and he was lighting up the playoffs too as the teams were being announced. And it's like, hello, are you watching the hockey right now? Do you see that Phil Kessel, besides Crosby, is the best player on Pittsburgh? Yeah, it was crazy. But, but no, the World Cup is coming. It's, a, it's pretty. It's fast approaching. It starts the seventeenth, so pretty like two or three weeks away from uh, actual competitive hockey, guys. You guys. I just noticed, I just noticed as I'm scrolling through NHL.com, Thomas Placanic was named the uh, Czech Republic captain. Yeah, and Sidney Crosby was named Team Canada's captain also. 
I have to go through and see if I can find any other team captains. No, but, I think that's the only two that got announced. Yes, from what I'm seeing, that's true. But other than that, there's really not much news. I mean, the news is going to come quick starting September. We're almost here. We are almost there. I'm excited for it. Are you guys, you guys ready for it? I'm ready for, you know, actual games and breakdowns of who's playing well and who's not playing well compared to, oh, we'll speculate who's on this line. We'll speculate who's on that line. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the uh, World Cup because of the fact that I'm going to DVR and watch every single game because it's going to be a great start of the six six straight days of hockey once September 17th hits. Yeah, I'm very excited myself. I can't wait for World Hockey, even though I'm kind of biased on it. But um, I also can't wait for Rookie Camp. Uh, I'm very excited to see Zach Senishin this time, and uh, hopefully JFK is going to be around. I mean, I've heard Boston's going to Buffalo for the uh, Rookie Prospect Challenge, so they'll probably see Senishin in that too. Right. I wish I was going to Buffalo. I wish it was here. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, I wish it was There's here too. That should be fun to look at too. I always, I always like to check in on the rookies and see how the rookies are doing and who's playing well and who's, and you know, who's struggling a bit to keep up with the speed and stuff. Yeah, that's that's my wheelhouse when it comes to um, articles for the hockey writers. Yeah, I like to get to the the, uh, the word about about tomorrow's players today for the people that. Um, you know, they're, they're not surprised when the kid comes in and say, like, who is this kid? They already know what's going on, so. That's Kevin for us, so Yeah, I, I get that completely. And and Kurt Ludecki is another one that's um, fantastic oh, at what Kirk, he does. Kirk's fan- yeah, Kirk is fantastic. I give that guy many, many praises for what he does. Yeah, hoping to get him on the show as soon as possible also. And same with my show. I've been trying to get in touch with him, but I'll get him. Yeah, gotta, we'll get him. be persistent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but all right, Mark. Thanks for joining us on our last minute notice. I appreciate your time. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. I always uh, Mark, um, I've been on twice, and I, I really enjoy you guys. You guys do a re- really great job. And Mark also has a podcast of his own that you guys want to check out in um, Black and Gold Podcast. Correct, Mark? Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Black and Gold play. Hockey Podcast. And yeah. we're on SoundCloud.com and iTunes. There you go. And you can also find us on iTunes, right, Jason? Yes, we're at Boston Bruins Beat Podcast. You can also find you can find us on SoundCloud as well. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and on our CLNS Radio website. Absolutely. You can also follow us all on Twitter at MikeSetter22, at JasonBuckley91. You can also follow our Bruins Beat Podcast Twitter at Bruins underscore Beat. If you tweeted, if you tweeted us, I usually always respond, and I'm always on that Twitter account engaging the listeners when you guys tweeted us. So feel free. You can also rate us, as Jason said. And um, you can also find Mark on Twitter as well. Mark, I, your, your handle's a little bit difficult for me. Can you, can you throw it out there? Yeah, sure. It's at THW Black and Gold. So there you go. You can follow Mark. Mark's always tweeting about hockey also. Really good follow. So I suggest checking him out. And we appreciate you joining us again, Mark. Uh, that will conclude our episode of Bruins Beat. We will talk to you next week. Go Bruins. Go Bruins. Go Bees.